Welcome to the Filling the Pearl podcast. My name is Greg Ashman and with me for this episode is Eric Kalenz, teacher, curriculum and instruction lead, occasional consultant, research ed US organiser and the author of the books Education is Upside Down and What the Academy Taught Us, as well as the A Total Ed Case blog. Welcome, Eric. Thanks for having me, Greg. Great to, great to finally meet you, man. And I really appreciate for listeners, Eric is uh, recording this at quite an antisocial hour. So um, I, I'm very, um, I feel very privileged and honoured uh, for, for him agreeing to do that. Um, okay, it, um, first of all, uh, as I do with all my guests, I'd like you to tell me a little bit about yourself. So what drew you to teaching? Well, uh, I never thought in a million years that I'd do it. Uh, if you would have asked me when I was a kid, are you going to be a teacher? The answer was squarely no. Um, uh, and then I just stumbled my way into a few uh, education classes in a, as an undergraduate. I found them interesting if, you know, you know what, how it gets taught uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> post-secondary. Uh, so I found it confounding. Yeah. Uh, and, but, and through that experience, I ended up doing some time in schools. And I thought, wow, I, I, I feel really at home here. And this is as an undergraduate now. So, you know, 19, 20 years old. And then of all things, uh, when I moved to the Twin Cities after uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul, that's the, the Twin Cities area of Minnesota. Uh, and for rock fans out there, they know that there's a great rock scene here. And Prince uh, is from here. The replacements are from here. And I came here to be in a band. Um, ah. And I was in a band that did decently well. And my day jobs were copy shop and research, copy shop worker, research assistant, et cetera. And then at one point I landed a, a paraprofessional job working with autistic students in a, in a middle school. And, and then I was like, okay, I have to come back to this. Like, like <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't certified, but I was like, I do feel at home here on a day-to-day -day basis. And then went back and got my credential. And so I got into teaching a little later than, than a lot of you know, early career teachers go straight from, you know, high school to undergraduate to credentialing. And then they're a minted teacher at 22. I was like 26, 27 and had some, I entered, I entered my full-time gig as a teacher, like with a lot of experiences under my belt that weren't like purely academic. So yeah, I, I feel like that that was, uh, it, it served me well early on. I mean, it's interesting what you say about, um, you, you know, what education courses is like. I've had, a, I had an email today from my university inviting me to join a Foucault reading group. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and what do you say? Yeah, I'm not sure they, they yeah, they, they don't know me very well if they're sending me those. Sorts of <laughs> um, okay, so you, you're obviously, so you've, you've written two books, you blogger, you're sort of prolific um, edu pundit. Um, uh, so, what what got you into that side of things? So, you're teaching. What got you into uh, writing about teaching? Well, I I think as you know, a, a lot of people who are familiar with the works of, of you or me or uh, or or any of the the research eddies, you know, kind of like around the globe. I think a lot of us went into teaching, found it didn't match our pre professional training experience. Um, sought other learning. Uh, I would say I was three, four years in before I stumbled on, it was, the book was Left Back by Diane Ravitch. Yep. And uh, and I didn't know 
all of that. You know, I didn't yeah. know the history of how progressive ed came online and how it became, you know, just sort of the accepted wisdom of the yeah. field. Uh, and I, but seeing that path was deeply interesting to me. Uh, and, and then the references section in her book, which came out in like 2001. So this is the internet, the internet's not terribly advanced at that time. So I, I mean, my only real research guide was the reference section to left back. Um, I poured through that. I stumbled on Edie Hirsch, like everyone, uh, Dan Willingham's first book came out, you know, a few years, like just as I was sort of exiting the classroom for more leadership type work. Um, and it was all, it was transforming my practice, but it was also like grabbing me in a way that, that I was like, I sure would love someday to, to write about that journey. Like given, uh, given the, the formative, um, effects of Ravage on your thinking, how do you feel about her complete change of heart on education? <laughs> um, Wow. At the time, it was hard, uh, um, uh, but the <laughs> the longer I'm doing this, I'm like, uh, uh, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> I understand how, like, uh, um, I don't know, and, and I there's there's rumor out there that there's like a real personal reason and things like that that she made the flip that she did. Yeah, um, uh, and and I don't know any of that. I don't no. know her. You know, I I don't know anybody who could substantiate that. Um, but I do know a decent amount now about kind of like the world she was in. Yeah. And I can see how someone could really have a a sea change. I haven't necessarily, no. but it's it's been. I, uh, my understanding is yeah. that, um, and for listeners who aren't aware, I suppose I ought to just fill you in. Uh, Diane Ravitch wrote Left Back, which is this brilliant book that Eric's talking about. But uh, since I've been blogging, so it's about 2012, uh, Ravitch has been very much in the um, sort of pro-progressive education camp. She okay. was apparently is persuaded by a, ostensibly persuaded by an exchange of articles um, with someone whose name escapes me. But but I understood that it was partly due to her disillusionment as well with the, what she would see as the failure of No Child Left Behind and those kind of reforms under Bush. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting story of someone who's completely reversed their views, but not just um, completely reversed their views, but actually being quite known as an intellectual with a particular set of views, and then yeah, adopting and, the reverse. Yeah, and and you know to that point, and somewhat ironically, I mean, she's rather key to a lot of the reforms she ended up being very much against. Yeah, I don't know if there was a more visible scholar kind of putting message out there for for years leading up yeah. to left back um there's i mean she was and she's a historian first and foremost yeah but when she would say this is the history of how these how these things came online they're not working uh yeah. <laughs> and they haven't worked you know, I, I think that i think the subtitle to left back is a century of failed school reforms yeah and so I think what, what she was, yeah well i mean what she was basically saying was I have a new way of reform and that's going to be through standards and <laughs> accountability and all yeah. these things. And, and then when it started happening, I think it just made her sick. Um, yeah. and, and, I, and then I think added in with the, she's a, uh, uh, she, uh, over overstates the, um, 
I don't know, the, the severity of what she calls the privatization movement. Yeah. So like murdering choice, um, you know, uh, she's looking for every kind of crooked angle of every charter owner and it's, or every charter school founder. Yeah. And it's just like, they're not all crooked. No. <laughs> like, like uh, but she's painted them as that. And like, you know, they're just, they're just real estate magnates in, in educational dress and don't trust these people. And, and millions of people listen to her. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and including unions who used to hate her. Yeah. So it's, it's just, it's been fascinating. Uh, and uh, to her credit, and, and I haven't, uh, uh, you know, uh, she's, she's actually gone at research ed before. I know. Like, she? Uh, yeah. I know that when we were doing the Brooklyn conference um, in 2000, I want to say 16, um, I don't know who was kind of in on the, on the on a chain of tweets like yeah. people heading to research ed but it was people that rub her the wrong way yeah so she was like well look look at that privatizer conference that's going on and i was <laughs> like i'm sorry <laughs> like, <laughs> you're, you're talking about the wrong people here i'm i'm a i'm an educator you know yeah. like uh, uh and you should really do your homework if that's what you think this is yeah but well the research head rubs people at the wrong way, but maybe we'll we'll return to that uh, yeah, topic exactly. later. So, um, okay, so I want to go to your first book, which I actually was um, I was I was struck by its clarity, uh, particularly of the central metaphor, which I, I want to return to in a second. But I read it. I don't know when I read it. It must have been probably six years ago, something like that. But it's yeah. a very good book. So we're talking about education is upside down, and uh, I recognise in that. I had a similar uh, sense of recognition uh, to when I read Daisy Christodoulou's um, Seven Myths. Uh, in that, in Seven Myths, um, although I'd never conceived, conceptualised of these seven myths, I recognised them immediately. And your metaphor and your explanation of that, your metaphor, um, I recognised, it had not occurred to me, but I recognised it immediately. And it's the metaphor of an inverted funnel, mm-hmm. Um and so uh, if you wouldn't mind, um, can you tell me a little bit what prompted you to write Education is Upside Down? And then after that, could you explain this um, inverted funnel metaphor, what it represents and, and how, how you use it? Gotcha. Um, well, I guess it was, and again, this is the, this is the, the whole of a career. Like, uh, and at that point, I'm in education right about 20 years so uh you know 15 16 um and i'd seen the classroom i'd seen the contrary research to what i'd been taught i'd watched me putting that research into action and it doing great things and then i became really (coughs) fascinated with the growing reform movement yeah um, uh, including like No Child Left Behind and, and various reforms that were taking us over kind of on a federal level, so a nationwide scale. What, pa- started... pa- what Parsi Solberg called <coughs> GERM, the Global Education Reform Movement, GERM. Oh, have you heard of that yeah, one? The, the, I have not until just yeah. now. Yeah. I, 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 I like that, though. <laughs> GERM, because germs are bad. You see? I know. Yeah. I, see, I, see what he, I see what he did there. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, but uh, uh, good old, good old posse. Um, um, but anyway, I, uh, 
I, and so I'm kind of like, and I'm, and I just think in metaphors, I think uh, to a fault probably, but I was like, I was thinking, okay, we have a set of practices that I just recognize as upside down the, you know, the, the, the pursuit of engagement, you know, like, like first and foremost, or, you know, the, the, the deprioritization of background knowledge and foundational skills to reading comprehension. We see similar things in the math world when they start talking about, we got to go for, you know, understanding, you know, it's like, well, of, you know, without building all the rest. Yeah. Okay? So I'm like, those are the practices that I would say have inverted our funnel. And I'll, I'll come back to the funnel in a second. Yeah. Um, but the reforms that we've chosen and how we're going at this, like, like really trying to in our innovate our way out of it, uh, trying to hold us more accountable, um, uh, things like that. They're also not doing much to turn over the funnel of the upside down funnel of practice. Yeah. And so, and so back to that funnel, I guess, I guess it represents to me what an ideal schooling model would do that if there are all these streams of, and, and I try, I worked with the, the publisher to try to recreate, you know, using stock images, um, uh, the, the metaphor, and you see a series of bottles turned upside down with, you know, water pouring out of them in, in straight lines, basically, and then heading into a, an upside down funnel. That's supposed to mean that in an ideal situation, uh, an upright or, an, or a properly placed funnel would would reach out to kind of like the width of of all the humanity pouring into it okay so from all the backgrounds from all the you know how much time have they been in the country how much time have they been with the language what's their socioeconomic status what's their are they from historically marginalized racial groups whatever uh, because the funnel is wide at the top end it can reach it can receive all of those you know diverse groups and ideally reliably pull them kind of inward and down toward a mainstream set of you know expectations um dispositions skills habits okay um uh, and as it is because of the practices we've chosen that funnel is upside down therefore the only people who are really succeeding in american education are the ones who were already closest over the mainstream to begin with uh they are they're the only ones who have a chance to enter the the narrow end pointing up and uh, the rest are just bouncing off the outside uh, and, and then goodness knows what happens to them. So um, uh, yeah. And then I think our, you know, the, our results over half a century or better uh, would, would indicate, you know, anybody who's from a, a group that's further from the mainstream to begin with is being left out you know, and, and is not being served well by school. And to be clear, this, this metaphor is not about making everyone the same uh, or Goodness. giving them all the same um, views or anything like that. The metaphor is about uh, the destination, the, the, the thing that this funnel is channeling kids into is educational success. So it's about reaching right. out to kids, whatever background, whatever wealth, whatever their, their home life is like and other attributes they may have and making sure that they all follow a path of educational success whereas at the moment those who are already privileged those who are already part of the elite they can travel down the middle of the upside down funnel and they can achieve educational success but um everyone else is almost by design being yeah. sent off in different directions because we yeah. say 
ah, oh, students should follow their interests. Well, their interests will take them in different directions. And, and if you come from a one particular family background, your interests might not take you towards things relevant for, for educational success. Or we might say, um, and hopefully not too many people would say this now, um, hopefully we've raised awareness about this enough now, but you might say, oh, this child is a kinesthetic learner. So we're going to yeah. get them to do everything through motion. And, and, yeah. and, and then we're writing that person off from ever learning academic skills to read and write and, 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 and we're pushing them away. Um, yeah. So I find it a very, very powerful, as, as you can yeah. tell, yeah. I find it a very powerful metaphor. And that's what the book is all about, isn't it? What, what's your thoughts on, um, I mean, I've written about, I mean, for me, I went straight to um, differentiation. So yeah. differentiation, the idea that, you know, we have to give or differentiated instruction, we have to modify our instruction for different students. And to an extent, like, yeah, we all do. Like when I'm teaching yeah. maths and student A gets it first time and student B doesn't, then I'll go to student B and I'll re-explain something. That's a form of differentiation. But it's mm -hmm. become much more than that. Um, mm -hmm. I'd say as teachers, we seem obsessed with finding differences. We even invent them in the case of learning mm -hmm. styles. They aren't real differences, but we seem obsessed with finding these differences between young people rather than leveraging what they have in common. So yeah. do you agree that there is an obsession with difference? And if so, I mean, what's your perception of where that comes from? Oh, well, I think, I think at bottom, and I, and I shoot, I don't, I, there's no way I could comment on this like much outside the US. Yeah. But, but the US is very much, you know, they're like the, the settled US is founded on an idea of the individual is, you know, it's the rugged individual. It's the, it's, you know, whatever's good for you. You know, you have to, yeah. like, I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's in a lot of ways, it's, it's, it's an economy and a government and a way of living that's supposed to treasure the individual. So I think yeah. a lot of people kind of go into it like that, like they, they want to honor the individual. Then I would say progressive ed pours gas on it. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like says, you know, this, it, it's about, uh, I mean, Greg, the first, I mean, the first reading of the first class of the first day I walked into ed school was John Dewey. Yeah. And I can, I can remember it just not squaring with my way of thinking about what schooling does. And now, yeah. and, and, you know, he even clarified that, uh, uh, but it was too late. That ship sailed, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, he tried to bring it back, but, but he was just like, Oh, geez, what are you all doing? That's <laughs> kind of not what I said. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but once that notion, which is already so like electrified in the mind of the American, once that got validated in the ed school and said, this is our goal, then it became, you know, if that child is interested in horses, let them learn everything about science and literature and math through tending a horse. You know, yeah. there's, there's math involved, there's biology involved. There's, and I was like, I can remember reading those, those things about the lab schools and stuff going, Oh my goodness. Like, like, I'm not going to be expected to recreate this in my classroom. Am I? And it's like, no, but eventually that like a, a a parallel expectation was set up you know you're not like, expected like, to recreate it in your classroom but you're expected to feel guilty about not being able to recreate it in your classroom oh and sometimes it's it's like it's written into the the rubric of the yeah. of evaluation so like that was one of the big things also that i said in in upside down was 
because that was another thing is, you know, in the, in the positions that I held after I left the classroom, uh, one of them was at a big district office here. Uh, and I was central office and I was, I was seeing hundreds of classrooms, uh, as part of our, uh, part of our no child left behind teacher evaluation process, okay, which became required here. And I think I've written about this and, and you and I have gone, gone back and forth about this, but I was seeing in classrooms um, uh, where differentiation, because it was actually written into the, you know, this, this is the, this is the statement of professional standards. Like it's not, yeah, we, a, we have it in our professional standards in Australia as well. Yeah. And so, and I'd walk it on, I'll never, I mean, I had a conversation with a, a, a beautifully differentiated chemistry classroom in a high school where I cannot tell you how much energy this teacher much must have expended writing what, what was essentially four different lesson plans within the same 55 minute space for kids who were at different levels. Um, uh, <laughs> and the kids in the front, uh, it was, um, it was, it was six kids. They were learning to balance equations, you know, kind, yeah. of, kind of complex high school chemistry stuff. Second group was doing something that wasn't balancing equations. <laughs> the third yeah. group at all the way on back to the back where there was another about six students who were watching a YouTube video of states of matter. Like, you know, yeah. watch, watch what happens when we put this, you know, gas in this balloon. Now watch what happens when we refrigerate and, you know, and and uh, and so that in the back of the room <laughs> was nothing like the front of the room, yeah. but that was exactly what that teacher had been told to do. And uh, and those kids that, at the back of the room are never going to get to the front of the room. That's exactly right. And 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 I would say and I said and I would go off the script of my district. Sorry, district. And I I don't care if anybody listens because <laughs> I'll do it unashamedly. I would challenge the teacher on that. I'd say. So are the, are the kids in the back of the room ever going to get to balance equations? Well, yeah. no, they can't. They don't have the algebra. They don't have the, and I'd be like, so this is a differentiated classroom. I'm going to write down here. It's beautifully differentiated. I'm like, because that's what you're being asked to do. And I, and I apologize. I didn't write the rubric. <laughs> like, but, yeah. uh, uh, you did that beautifully, but I really want you to think about that. I want, you know, please think. Are you, and then are they getting the same? education as as the kids in the front of the room and well, and and tragically i can add and i have to add this you know just in, in our in our current like concerns over equitable education uh uh the faces got darker as you moved to the back of this room okay <laughs> so yeah you, you were essentially sentencing uh kids of certain racial backgrounds to to lesser education yeah and and that's perfectly foreseeable like I think what a lot of people don't focus on with differentiation is what information are you using when you make yeah. these judgments about what kids are capable of learning? Yeah. How, yeah. And, and if it's not robust, um, there's a strong likelihood that implicit biases around um, race, gender, socioeconomic status will factor into your assessments of what these kids, what you predict they can and cannot cope with. And um, rather than exposing them all to the same curriculum and try, helping them all try and get there um exactly. you're preempting what you think they can cope with and I, I know in mathematics like you can because it, it's so hierarchical you can say well we can't teach this kid quadratic equations because they can't rearrange a linear equation so mm -hmm. there is a little bit more that you can do 
there, but you'd still want very robust data and you'd still want to be trying to accelerate the kids through the linear equation so you could teach them the quadratic equation to everyone else. So I think it's, yeah, I, I think it's deeply damaging. And what I find strange, um, and I don't know, and I don't know whether uh, it's only occurring to me now um, talking to you, so you might not have anything to say on this, but you talked about the rugged individual. I always think of, you know, when people talk about that, I think about, you know, the Marlborough man uh, on his on his horse, you know, the old Marlborough uh, advert. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Do you, uh, you probably say that differently. That's why you're a bit puzzled. Yeah, Is it I, Marlboro? I, it took me, it took me. I, I heard yeah, you now. Yeah. I, I got to that. Um, and, uh, and I always think that that's a, uh, a, an archetype from the right of politics. And yet the progressive education movement, which ostensibly people think is aligned with the left of politics, pursues this rugged individualism rather than the kind of collectivism that you might associate more with mm -hmm. the left and it is i find that surprising but then when you look at back at the history of progressive education a lot of it is about experimenting in independent schools um in the early 20th century um so perhaps it's not that surprising perhaps the big surprise is that everyone now thinks this this style of teaching where we um you know hyper individualize the kids is is a kind of caring sharing nurturing um left-wing approach to teaching i don't know if you've got any thoughts on that well uh, well i mean as as you say that because like like i guess uh, i hadn't thought much about the individuality question other than thinking of the individual as as you know prized and prioritized um we have the rugged individual but i would <laughs> and i as it was just occurring to me like i wonder if uh, uh, if we think about it, like through that progressive ed lens, if that the individual might be seen as a pathetic individual, yeah, like like, like they're not rugged. It, yes, yeah. the, the like their individuality is to be is to be prized, but it's almost to be like catered to, as though as though you cannot function unless your individual needs are catered to. Yeah, which which I say in upside down, like like that's that's kind of not what this public this publicly funded institution is about like, yeah. like like forsaking that there is any such thing as mainstream institutions you know like, and, and how i don't i mean i don't always put it to kids for instance as when it comes to how you're going to function in institutions and i might not be terribly catering to their individual needs of course i do individualize to some degree just like you mentioned with your math instruction um uh, but when i tell them it's time to it's time to get going. You know, this is going to be an expectation of you, and I, I, I almost never frame it in terms of um, this is what your this is what your workplace is going to expect. This is yeah. what college is going to. I'll, I'll, I'll go to the the institution of relationships. <laughs> like, yeah, like to be in a successful relationship, people are probably going to most people are going to expect that you're on time. Yeah, and that you're reliable, and yeah. you know, and it's, and I'll say good luck keeping a girlfriend man like, like yeah <laughs> you know not not good luck keeping a job because a 13 year old cannot conceive of that no uh, but you know but believe it or not like even in our like the mainstream conception of a relationship or a, a marriage or home ownership or what have you all of those institutions i i i i would have to be um like someone would have to be very, very convincing to me to, to tell me that that isn't relatively 
common, <laughs> like, yeah. like common set of expectations across all of those institutions. Um, but anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, there are very strange things said these days about punctuality and those kind of features. Oh. But um, yeah, well, I, 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 we won't probably get into that, but I do agree with you wholeheartedly. Okay, so um, I want to get on to your, your second book, What the Academy Taught Us. Uh, and it's about your time at RCO Senior High um, and a program, Sophomore Academy, School mm-hmm. Within a School, um, initiated by Dr. Bob. And if I've got this right, sophomores are mm-hmm. in grade nine in the US. 10, yeah. Grade 10. Oh, I stuffed yeah. that up. I thought I'd got that right. Yes, grade 10, because grade nine is the start of senior high. Yeah, usually. Yeah, yeah they, and they're freshmen. freshmen yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, can you tell me, so it's, th- this was initiated by Dr. Bob, who was um, this, what well, comes across as quite a, a visionary um, leader. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about Dr. Bob and why and why he came to visit you in your, your classroom in midwinter and knock on the door and tell you he had, had an idea for this program? Yeah, well, he... He had been the principal of the building. Uh, he took over in my second year there. Uh, and, and I'll be honest, it was a huge school. So I can't say I had a ton of contact with him. I, I, I respected him. He, he put me in, in neat positions, like for a younger teacher uh, in, in a department of, of a lot of very seasoned teachers. Yeah. He, he allowed me to join uh, a district-wide curriculum building committee, which was incredibly formative to everything I did afterward um, uh, the, you know, on so many levels, just like he was just great for that. He recognized that I was maybe seeking other things, maybe moving schools and, uh, and he liked how I did things or maybe saw me as somebody who was going to be a long time kind of fixture in the school as we were going to have a lot of retirements and things in the years ahead. And he, uh, but in his leadership and trying to like improve the school and think about things that needed to be addressed, he had studied, I don't know how many years of data leading to this point and basically said, you know, and this was before anybody was using this term for the warning system. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's pretty common now. Parking uh, the ambulances. Like, sorry. No, put in a fence at the top of the cliff rather than parking the ambulances at the bottom. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and now we have really sophisticated ways of doing this. There are, there are, you know, big databases full of kids that you should be able to red flag just based on all kinds of factors. Okay. But this is before all kinds of sophisticated uh, student management systems and all that. But he said, I went through all these kids who had either dropped out or failed or just eventually never earned a diploma here or needed more time. He said, and all of them, like, like to it, and I cannot remember his number. I really wish I could have gotten from him. I was only talking to him close to 15 years out after this all happened. Yeah. Uh, and, and I said, and he said, with alarming, like, consistency, it was all failures within their 10th grade year. Yeah. Like, like if they don't get off to a good start, they're, they're doomed. Like, there's no way they can climb out of the hole. He goes, what do you say? We figure out some way to find those kids who are like, who have red flags, but they don't even know it. And we yeah. figure out how to figure that out from our feeder junior high schools. And we, we surround them with, you know, four of our strongest teachers, you know, and um, 
and who had the energy for this kind of thing. And yeah. he was coming to me and he came to the other three teachers and then a counselor who was kind of dedicated to it. All, not because we were his strongest teachers necessarily, but because we kind of had a reputation for working well with that kind of kid, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, like you don't, they don't, you don't kick a lot of kids out of your classroom. You settle it there. I don't know how that happens. You get kids who, who fail a lot of classes, but pass your guys' classes. And I come in your classes and I know that it's not just a fun factory. So can we surround those kids? Uh, and we were just like, sure, you know, it'll, it's going to take a miracle of master scheduling and, but let's try it. Yeah. Um, and that's how it all, that's how it came about. And that book kind of details, um, one, how that came about and how it went. Uh, and then, uh, how that also kind of impacted up when we started thinking about whole school improvements. Yeah. This was a kind of a targeted improvement, but, uh, how we used a similar model to create continuous school improvement before, you know, the Carnegie folks and everybody was talking about continuous school improvement. He was, he was ahead of the game. Uh, uh, yeah. Good guy. And, and it involved a, a sort of collaborative approach. Um, I mean, you've already sort of indicated you had a small team of teachers, but could you just tell me a little bit more about um, what that was like, how you collaborated and, and, and the sorts of things that you learned? Yeah. Well, I, um, I, I guess I, uh, <laughs> I, when I entered that building, again, it was kind of the wild, wild west when it came to like, what kind of, what do you want to do for curriculum? Okay, there are some things that are uniform, but for the most, again, this individuality went all the way up to teachers. And so uh, I was in a department where I didn't necessarily have to follow what everybody was doing. So I kind of gotten used to that and I was okay with that. And I was, again, this was also when I was starting to do a little bit more of my own personal research. Mm changing the way I did things that definitely didn't look like the other teachers in my department, like the independent reading unit, you know, that's gone. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like, like all these things that were kind of prog, you know, like, like I just kind of cut them out and I had the luxury of doing that. Uh, so I hadn't had to like get together with teammates to come up with like uniform policies, uh, which yeah. was a that was hard for me, like, because I manage my classroom a certain way and it just works. You were busy being uh, a rugged individual. That's right. <laughs> and I, was, I was, I was doing it my way, damn it. And like, and, and like, and so for the four of us, one of the things we landed on and we didn't know each other very well. Again, big yeah. school where we were, I and the math teacher were a half a mile apart, you know? So uh, I just never really interacted with them. So not only did I have to get to know them, but when we landed on, with this type of kid, if we want this type of thing to work, we're going to have to be uniform on some things. Okay. And then it was like, which things are those? And we argued and argued and argued. Like, uh, I'm actually pretty liberal with like how I let kids go out of the classroom. Okay. Yeah. I, or I was. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and some of my colleagues were completely different than I on that <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I was just and I can remember I was like steam coming out of my ears like no it can work you got to give them room man you got and and they were like no they can't go to the bathroom they'll never come back and I was just like we can't stop them from going they're just like try it and you'll see and it will work and I was like okay and it was just like class procedure like that and, and yeah. it wasn't it wasn't a set of 10 rules or yeah. anything like that. It was just like high buck items. Uh, and then we were, we were uniform on those. And I learned a lot about, about how to collaborate and how to 
trust, you know, like how to really trust that what they were telling me, uh, I could believe in it. And because others were going to have my back, I thought I yeah. found that very important. Like the, like, um, it, with, as with any like school-wide classroom management sort of policy, if you're about to ban cell phones or no snacking or what have you, if everybody does it, um, uh, the power of that is amazing. Uh, yeah. and, and I really, and to get it, to see it working, like right in front of me, like, and where the kids, they put up a stink for five days and then you never hear about it again. Yeah. <laughs> it was brilliant. Uh, because they, I, I, often it's not the actual content of these procedures that matters. It's the fact that we've all, we're all in. And I'm yeah. not going to undermine you by, by being different um, and then changing the expectation. And also for the kids, often if they're um, vulnerable kids, they appreciate yeah. the fact that when they go from science to English to maths, they've got the same environment and it's predictable yeah. and they know what's going to happen. Yeah. And I mean, and, and to, uh, uh, one of my, uh, one of my, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps here. Yeah. Uh, but one of my favorite parts of this was actually, I had focus groups. I was able to round up former students, um, and focus groups with them and lots of one-on-one -on -one interviews with them. I talked to a few dozen over the course of a year. I couldn't get everybody. And then a lot of people electronically and, I mean, to a kid, they remember that and they remember like what it felt like at first and how that felt like, oh my goodness, we're, um, uh, we're being treated, you know, like, like prisoners in the school. Okay. Yeah. They, they were very dramatic about it, but then they were like, then we found that we bought in too, you know, they, they, they galvanized around, you know, those kinds of ideas. And they're like, we can, that they would remember that, um, was, was pretty powerful to me. Cause I mean, and that's that. That's the thing I'm always dying to dying to know, like why we don't research more um, successful products of schooling after schooling. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Rather than, than than attempt to study the environment, like like when you can kind of say, well, what kind of schooling did you have now that you are a rising junior in college, or yeah. you're a 19 year old entrepreneur? Tell us tell us what your schooling was like. <laughs> like yeah, in in some sort of systematic way. You often look at research on uh, students, you often get research on students where things haven't worked out well. So you do there's a lot of research about who ends up in prison and, and who ends up excluded from school and they go and talk to those about their school experiences. But you don't, you often don't see the, and of course for full picture, you need the complete cross section because otherwise you don't know which things are actually associated with success and failure and, and which crop up equally in, in both sets of experiences so right, right. yeah it's it's a, that that is a useful program um now you you say that obviously this was the sophomore academy the four teachers was the the starting point and it moved to a more um continuous school improvement model we probably call it now it was very grassroots bottom up uh, teachers working it out you're you're sitting around figuring out what the rules are but then Eventually, and unfortunately, um, your book doesn't have a happy ending. Eventually, no. it all gets frustrated by the man. Mm -hmm. So um, would, would you like to tell me a little bit about what, what, what happens in the end with these reforms? Yeah, well, well um, the district, as was happening in the second half of the first decade of the 2000s, was uh, 
No Child Left Behind was coming on. Standardized tests were coming on. Uh, um, districts were arranging around the data and they were saying, this is what we've got to change. And, uh, and you know, certain subgroups were lagging behind others. And so it became, it became a, the, um, I can't remember the exact tagline, but it was just like, they, they were going to create, they were going to uh, transform the schools, create transformational change toward an equitable education. Yeah. Like okay. Now, whatever kind of word salad they used, yeah, it went to the same old stuff. It yeah. went to, you know, we're going to expand the tech initiative. Okay. Yeah. We are going to bring in, um, uh, uh, consultants who are going to help you with your classroom management and, and those consultants. And then we're going to have, uh, a, a technique that they use that they were expected to use by administration is called like, give me five. Okay. Mm. I don't know what that means. I wasn't there at the time Yeah, when they did that. I, I, I left, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I got out. Uh, I was like, because it, it was heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, uh, that, that so much of what we were doing was kind of starting to be controlled by district office. Yeah. Um, uh, and it was all these, a few big initiatives that I talk about in the book, uh, 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 standards-based grading, competency-based, uh, or I don't know what y'all call it, um, but that kind of that grading reform was coming across. Yeah, grading uh, on, a, on a rubric as, as opposed to that sort and, of thing. Yeah, and it's, it, and it's like, and I, I mean, it's called all kinds of different things. So like mastery-based grading yeah. or standards-based grading or competency-based. Okay, so like basically that would do things like remove due dates. Yeah. Like remove due dates because it doesn't matter when you master it. It's that you, and I'm like, oh, geez, you know, and they're, they're still in the throes of that. They've, they've sunk that cost and they're, I mean, they're still trying to get it right. This is 15 years out. Now, and people I, in Australia should pay attention at this point because what you've just explained is exactly what's been proposed by um, Professor Jeff Masters uh, in Australia. He wants different kids to work at different paces through the curriculum and get there when they're ready to get there. And and obviously that would imply the kind of grading system that you've just described. Yeah. And it's, and it's, I, I'd urge any Australian listeners to see how that's going in the U S um, <laughs> it is. Uh, there are entire States who have committed to it. Uh, Maine, Maine is up in our Northeast coast and uh, um, Maine went all in on this. They committed as a state to it. It was such a logistical failure and it produced so little that they just rolled it all back. Mm. And if you talk to the very, very high paid grading reformers, <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of money to this. Um, they're just like, oh, it was a lack of will. They just caved yeah. into the teachers who, who don't want to go the extra mile. It's like, yeah. no. And my, my maintenance is always, if you can show me that it's producing a cleverer kid on average, I'm all in. Yeah. Uh, I've yet to see that. No. Uh, anyway. So, um, uh, uh, so anyway, and, and I've had, I, I, you know, crunched a bunch of, uh, stats and graphs to kind of show how the, the 10 years since like my exit. So I leave, I left in 2008 when that, when those things were starting to roll in, yeah. uh, we're, we're now 10, 12, 14 years out and you just see how it's going. And it's, it's a flat line for all those mm. millions of dollars for these high transformational changes. Uh, and, I, and I'm not going to say that uh, at Osseo Senior High, we we completely figured out how to skin the cat. I mean, no. it was, but I mean, uh, but I can, I show some evidence in that book where it was just like, 
there were some very positive ticks forward. And I also interviewed a lot of current staff and former staff who, who were just like, we pine for those days. You know, yeah. we, we actively wish for what it was like back then. And, and to Greg, just like, I do a decent amount of work around the country. Uh, yeah. And this is such a common experience. Like, yeah. like, it, like what I describe in that book, people are like, that's exactly what my district did. Yeah. You know, they rolled in the iPads and we were supposed to oh, learn iPads. to. Yeah. And they, <laughs> they, they rolled it. This is part of the tech initiative. They backed the trucks up, you know, and dumped a bunch of iPads. And that's what our professional learning became about was facilitating learning through iPads. And it's like, well, why? And it's like, yeah. it's going to revolutionize teaching. It's like, who says? <laughs> yeah. What's the theory of action? Like, this is it. Like, and you see this. I've got, I've got this book, Bev, and it's about maths teaching, but it's about things more generally. Um, and you see it a lot in the work of, um, well, I, well, I would identify it, and uh, she may disagree, but I would identify it in the output of someone like Joe Bowler, that she presents activities to do. Um, and I would say, but why? I think there's a famous one where, I think it's uh, uh, multiplying 18 by nine. I don't know. It might not be those two numbers, but, and she's, and it's great activity because people do it lots of different ways. And, and my question is, but why, what, what are we trying to achieve? What do we want the kids to learn as a result? And actually um, the late Grant Wiggins, um, uh, who I disagreed with a lot. I used to disagree with him on his blog, but we, we rubbed along amicably, amicably enough. But the one thing I agreed with him on was that you shouldn't ever just, choose activities you should first of all establish what it is you want the students to learn right. and then choose the activities to suit it but like a lot of these reform initiatives are okay we're going to give everyone ipads but but why what what right. objective are we going to achieve by giving everyone these ipads how's it going to work and i think we do a lot of that in education sorry for the rant but i think we no, do a lot of that in education no, you're you're talking talking my language there, man. That's that's exactly what I'm all about. Is and I mean, and I just can't. I'm. I always think of the uh, uh, you know the the opportunity. Uh, like like every dollar you you dedicate to that, every second of PD, every um, uh, kid that's going to have a discipline problem because of something they do on their iPad. <laughs> like yeah. like all of that. Like there's a ton of costs involved. Yeah. that is not being spent on things that we just know if if we had our why more in place and we have the we have the, the you know some pretty strong science to back which you know efforts are worth pursuing uh, uh we're not getting to spend on that because it's and, and that's ultimately that's kind of where the academy went yeah is we had the choice to, to continue going with kind of a bastardized version it could have been a lighter version um uh which wouldn't have it's going to be seriously compromised. The classes are going to get a lot bigger that, you know, we're probably going to have to move a few classrooms around. And it was just like, well, that's not, that's not what made this so great, you know? And, and when you, and, and I, I think too about like the, the socio, I, I mean, and I, you know, me and SEL, I'm, I look at that very sideways. Uh, yeah. I, I go into that a lot in, in education is upside down, although it had not been branded social emotional learning yet. It, it yeah. got a full brand by between that time. That's re remarkable. But I, that was one of the things talking to the kids that I guess I didn't, I felt it happening at the time. Yeah. Like I felt that they were becoming, they felt like they belonged to something. And yeah. I, I even start the book with that fight. Like, yeah. um, I remember where it was like, um, uh, we had a girl who was getting picked on 
she was getting bullied. She was, she was a very, she was very cute, very cute girl that a lot of the senior boys liked that drove the senior girls nuts. They decided to psychologically torture her as will happen in high schools. Okay. And a bunch of my like more like, you know, rougher girls, like, like from from the other side of the tracks. Yeah. Decided to, uh, jump another one of these senior princesses yeah Uh, and then uh and i chased them down the hall it happened right in front of me and when i stopped them uh um they they were waiting for me at the bottom of the stairs like like they knew i was coming and they were waiting for me so they could tell me their story yeah and let me escort them to the office where they all took their medicine right you know you get a four-day suspension you get a two you get a whatever and I was like, I was just blown away by like how they felt like they belonged to something in this thing that I think a lot of people would say, well, you isolated them from the rest of the school. Yeah. You gave them different rules. You created a prison within the school. Yeah. I'm like, go talk to the kids. Yeah. They, I mean, they, they felt like they entered school with one foot out of the school. And to this day, that's their best friends. <laughs> like, well, absolutely. And the things we say, so we say we're going to invest in social emotional learning. And then we do, we enact things that are the exact opposite of mm-hmm. delivering those sorts of outcomes. And we demonize places that actually, or, or processes or procedures that are effective at delivering those sorts of outcomes. Like no school has been demonized more possibly than Michaela uh, Community Correct. School in London. Um, mm-hmm. And yet they have consistent routines. They, they, the kids and the staff eat lunch together. Mm-hmm. Everyone that visits, I don't know if you've visited, I've not visited. Everyone that visits says it's a most wonderful atmosphere. And I've had Cath- yeah. Catherine on this uh, uh, podcast uh, but it gets demonized because oh it's strict and rules and and oh it, it, the kids are like in prison and oh it's all terrible but but yeah. actually that's if you want to deliver outcomes social emotional well-being outcomes that's the sort of model it might it's probably not perfect probably could be improved but that's the sort of model you that's going to be more effective at doing that than these hyper individualized laissez-faire you know, chase down the problem after it's already happened kind of models. Yes, absolutely. Um, so uh, I also, you, I mentioned at the start that you coordinate research ed in the, the US. I've been involved with research ed in uh, Australia. And I actually recognise what you're saying at the start a little bit about getting some pushback. We had some education um, professors and things like that who had a bit of a go at research ed. And there was, someone wrote a blog post uh, for the... Um, Australian Association for Research and Education um, blog. And so it, it gets up people's noses a bit, research ed. And, and my theory on this, uh, and it's not what they would admit to, but my theory on this is that we're not um, part of the establishment. We're a bit of an upstart grassroots mm-hmm. organisation. There are all these people that um, basically define themselves through telling teachers what to do to some extent or another. And this is a movement led by teachers who are mm-hmm. figuring stuff out for themselves. And that's what gets up people's noses. Um, mm-hmm. That would be my take. They, the critics would probably not agree that that's the reason. But um, what's it like, you know, let's compare notes. How's research ed going in the US? You know, what sort of person comes along? Who are some of the folks who've spoken there? Yeah, well, and um, how it goes here, um, uh, well, it's currently like in terms of my involvement, I'm, I'm like, I'm 
trying to pull away a little bit, at least at the moment, uh, and that's indefinite. Um, uh, and part of that's just, I, I had personal stuff, you know, lost both of my parents in the last year. We had COVID, we've had, you know, this nationwide racial reckoning. It's like, I don't even know if we can hold a conference. Uh, yeah. At one point, when I did the 2021, uh, I was about three months along in some really positive planning and then COVID just ran us yeah. into it. And we very quickly put together the virtual event, which I, which was, I mean, we had, you know, 12,000 hits. I mean, it, it like, it was, it was very good, I think, for the organization because more people got to see it than, yeah. than ever will in a, in a single conference. Um, but then it just became like too tiring in, in light of everything and too much uncertainty. Yeah. You have people who are, you know, with our culture wars, people who have appeared on our programs that I don't think would even appear in the same building together now, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like, I mean, and I mean that like yeah. people I saw having lunch together openly hate each other on Twitter. Yeah. You know, it, I'm just like, I don't even know who our friends are at this yeah. point. So it's, so it's kind of a, and, and which isn't to say that it's completely on hold. Uh, the good news is, um, and, and then there was some, I'll be honest, some frustration for me because I don't think the U.S. ever got their arms around the grassroots nature of it. Um, no. Like, like where I, you know, I'd get approached by someone who might want to help me because I, yeah. I think they believed I work for Research Ed. Yeah. And I, none of us do. No. Um, and and, <laughs> and <laughs> so they're like, bring it here. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, you know, I'm glad you're interested. Here's what you could do for me. Can you know your district? I'm totally game to explore this. Um, uh, go find me a venue. Okay. And, and here are my criteria. Um, yeah. Back, let's, let's connect in six weeks and then six weeks will go by and the person would have done nothing. I mean, yeah. I was just, I was kind of running into that roadblock yeah. a lot. <laughs> and then just in light of everything else, it was kind of like, I don't think we're going to get it. And I don't know that we're going to get it right now anyway. So yeah. I'm just going to kind of put the brakes on. Uh, uh, the great news is that somebody, uh, Meg Lee, uh, who's over in Maryland, she's actually going to host one. Uh, yeah. It's going to be in October. And I think, I think Tom uh, is working with her on that. Excellent. Um, yeah. So it's, it is. So maybe, maybe we figured out that it's not just one person because that's how everything is here, by the way. Yeah. Like, like teachers figuring everything out or blogging or even tweeting or whatever it's there's just not enough of it and yeah. and so even when it came to who was attending i mean the highest we got up to was like 350 and it yeah. was like break out the party hats yeah and still we hadn't penetrated teachers you know yeah. we, were, we were we were holding them in pretty major metros where i would think it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility to to get 500 you know 700 and still they weren't there. Um, yeah. uh, it's, it's mainly policy types. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and I would say maybe a third of our, uh, maybe, maybe closer to half by the last one was all teachers. Uh, yeah. um, uh, so I, there, there's a lot of things contributing to it, but I'm just kind of, I'm kind of slowing down, hoping the world will get a little, will make a little more sense soon. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if it does, uh, I'll feel a bit safer. It was really hard to to do all of that work for three months and get you know a, half of what I thought was a really promising program and a lot of excitement and to have to tell everybody we're not going to have it yeah. after all. Um, yeah, the, the pandemic has ruined many plans, hasn't it? Look, let's get to my final question. 
um, yeah. and I've you'll notice I've um, I've been very clever in how I've worded this question. <laughs> so I'm very pleased with myself. Okay, so Eric, if education is upside down, how yeah. are we going to turn it back the right way up? Oh man, my only hope was evidence, you know, <laughs> and I and I thought I thought um, like for once uh, here anyway, I thought we had enough evidence that the reforms that we tried that I talk about in the second half of Upside Down didn't net very much, at least, at least commensurate with how much, you know, time, money, and angst was put into them. Um, uh, and that a lot of the people who were so um, enthusiastic about those reforms actually started to turn their minds over to other stuff, okay? And, and like being more evidence-informed was in there. Yeah. Uh, and that was exciting uh, for about three years. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and now um, uh, it's kind of like we, we've kind of lost the plot again of, in favor of other things, you know, whether we're going to have masks on or not, whether what books are going to be banned or not. You know, yeah. I mean, we've gone, it's a little hard. I mean, I, I thought it was going to be people were going to um, kind of see the light on some of these things. We've, we've had some really positive movement. The, the idea of that, of that there actually is, or there may perhaps be a science of reading that people yeah. have ignored for a long time that made its way to the surface. Okay. And that yeah. was exciting. Uh, um, uh, uh, just it got coverage from folks here, uh, like M Emily Hanford just ripped the top off of everything yeah. uh, when we got a big old outlet to write a story about that. Okay, yeah. that made a lot of teachers go, "You're kidding me! I never knew that." Yeah. Okay? But so, like, that gave me a lot of hope, uh, and I do see a lot of still positive moves being made in that way. Um, I just I worry a little bit that the 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 tipping over to to right side up uh, <laughs> uh, that I thought that I thought like evidence might provide like it might give us some torque um, uh, um, uh, has been a little interrupted. Uh, yeah. um, so that's as and so if you would have asked me that question two and a half years ago, I would have said we're on the way. Yeah, like we're on the way. People are people are starting to realize that we do have we do understand a lot about how people learn. It runs counter to a lot of the ways that we teach <laughs> or mm. have historically considered ideal teaching. Um, uh, um, but we can change that. Um, then we've just, we've been interrupted definitely well worldwide, but then I would say the U S is extra interrupted because some of the, the biggest voices are kind of on to talking about other things. Right now. Yeah. Okay. Well, I hope that, um, we can turn that funnel the right way up, and I hope the progress that we made, were making a few years ago can return. Uh, the US is very important. Um, we tend to take um, a lead, for better or worse, from what is happening in the US. Um, I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, let's get it all back on track. Eric, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for uh, once again for uh, recording this at a um, at not the best time of day for you. Really appreciate it. And I'm sure people will really enjoy listening to your thoughts. All right. It's quite all right. Thanks for having me, Greg. Appreciate it.